Father, we thank you just for the this, this sense of energy and momentum and joy, unity and cohesiveness we sense in this church. We thank you, Lord, that as the kids go out with Miss Deborah, bless her Sunday school class, thank you for Deborah's heart to pour into these kids. Bless her and anoint her. We know that Sunday school is more than just Sunday school. It's an opportunity to disciple children in the faith. Many of us may have made decisions for Christ in a Sunday school room, such as myself. Bless our kids. And Lord, I just want to say a special prayer for our kids and our, our families this summer. Lord, for protection, guidance. Lord, that the wicked one, wicked one would not touch them. We pray that you would bind the devil from any harm that he would want to do this summer to any of our loved ones or, or people that we know. Um, also, Lord, just for the protection, the city, Magnolia, is just blowing up. It's just so many people moving to this area. Uh, we just pray, Lord, that you would protect people and just do something amazing in Magnolia and the woodlands. We just pray for something new, a fresh move of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. James chapter 1, we were talking last Sunday about temptation and how to get out of temptation. And um, when we were talking about temptation, we were looking in James chapter 1, and we talked about how temptation and the word temptation and the word trial in the original language are both the same word. They're the same word in the Greek, meaning that when God gives us a trial, when God gives us a trial, God is giving us a trial, not that we would fail and not that we would be on probation where God is just waiting for us to stumble, but a trial is hardship. And whenever there's a change in our life, that is a trial. When there's a change of um, abundance or prosperity, that's a trial. When there's a change where we are hit hard hit economically or financially, or maybe there's tragedy, or maybe there's great blessing in our family, that is a trial. And that trial is always sent to us to prove one thing, that we, like we sang that song, that we need God every hour, and number two, that God is faithful. I think in every trial that you have ever experienced in your life, one thing is truly sure, and that is that God never forsook you, and he never left you, and that he proved himself faithful to you. And that's the purpose of a trial. It's not our faith on trial. It's the character and the nature and the veracity and the word of God that's on trial. Whenever you have hardship, whenever there's excruciating soul pain, or whenever there's something that happens in your life, we're in a place where, where, where we just don't know what's going to happen next. Remember, it's not you on trial. It's the nature and the character and the veracity and the promises of the word of God that's on trial. And we're going to discover, amen, we're going to discover every time that God is faithful, that God shows up. And sometimes, some of us that like to be really in control of everything around us will be caught off guard when we are not in control and God just says, you know what, I've got that. That happened the other day. I've got that and I just want, I let that happen so that you could know that you can't control everything that's going on in your life and that I'm in control. And so we talked about trials and we talked about how a trial can turn into a temptation. 
when there's something that comes into my life, maybe health or maybe parental difficulty, or maybe when there's something that, you know, you pour out something in, uh, of your life and your soul into a child, and, and maybe there's some disappointment there. We need to understand that this is an event in our life that God has allowed to happen so that he could increase our momentum with him, that he would bless us, and that we would learn more about the nature and the characteristic of God and how he can be trusted. A trial which was sent to bless us can turn into a temptation when we stop responding to the promises of God, the grace of God in a trial. When you stop receiving grace and wisdom from God in a trial, that's when a trial that, was come, that had come to bless you is now going to turn into a temptation and it's going to be something that is going to be very difficult. But we can get out of that temptation when we understand, like Paul said to the Corinthians, that there's nothing that has come our way that we are not able to bear it and that we're not able to overcome it. Because God is faithful. And that's what we said last week. This week, what I'd like to, st- what I'd like to talk about is about the judgment seat of Christ and how Paul looked at the judgment seat of Christ and how that is for us an encouragement. Yes, an encouragement. I don't know about you, but I didn't so much grow up in a, in a church. I, didn't, I grew up a little bit in some pretty interesting churches in New England. I heard a lot of different interesting things. But I think when you hear that word judgment, that's pretty, like, there's a part of you that cringes, right? Is there a part of you that cringes? Like, yes, no, or, okay. For me, there's a cringe. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, because by nature, we'll, we're guilty creatures, right? I mean, I don't know how, you know, whenever, <laughs> whenever you get a letter from the IRS in the mailbox, you ever get one of those? No, because everybody here pays their taxes, right? <laughs> okay, but when, when I get, I mean, I pay my taxes too. But when I get a letter from, from the IRS, there's something that's like, oh my God, I feel like, I can feel the pendulum, I can feel like a hammer that's like, you know. And there's this cringe, there's this fear of judgment, there's this fear of, of punishment. When we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, we've got to let the Holy Spirit change your mind about what that means. Because it's a, not a judgment of sin, and it's not a judgment of punishment. It's actually, a, it's a seat and I want, to, I want to read, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's a seat of reward. It's a, it's a seat, it's a, it's a location where we are going to get recompense and we're going to be vindicated. And I want to look at that with you first. James chapter 1 verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. You ever see someone that's full of life and very vi- lively and just kind of charismatic and just outgoing and full of joy? Well, that's what the Lord gives us when we go through hard times. He gives us this crown, which the Lord has promised those to those who love him. Now, when the Bible talks about us loving God, you know what that means? Who loved who, loved who first? What? God loved us first. So when you see a verse that says, you know, the, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Whenever you see these, like, you know, I has not seen nor ears heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Whenever you read that, remember this translation in your mind. Remember this way of reading this, is that when we love God, we're only loving him with the love he first gave us. So when it says to those who love God, it just means this, you are responding to God's love towards you. That's love, right? When I love God, because there's nothing in me and as a fallen creature that loves God naturally. 
because we ourselves are egoistic, we're selfish, self-centered. But when God sent his love towards us, it set us free from self-consciousness, from self-awareness, and the fear of judgment. So when it says that for them who love him means those of us that have decided to respond to God's love. Say, God, you're loving me, and I'm just going to, by faith, respond to that. I'm going to say thank you. And that's really hard, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, it says this, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each, may, each, each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, I want to read that, and I want to explain this verse to you, because this is another verse, I think, that we don't like to read. Like, when we're reading through Corinthians, we're like, okay, read that and then just go to the next verse real quick. And we're thinking about this moment when we stand before Christ and there's this judgment seat and there's this recompense for the things that were done in our body, our physical body, in our life, whether good or bad. And we're thinking, and immediately we're thinking of this, I, I think, of this statue of justice, right? She's blind and she's got these, she's got these weight, these, this, this, um, these weights and their weight and we're thinking if I, I hope my, my good outweighs my bad and this is how we really look at our life but this is not how it's originally stating in the Greek. What it says here is that we must all appear and this word appear means to be fully known. It means to be, be known inside and out. God knows us better than we know ourselves. If you're married, maybe you know your spouse better than anybody else that, that is on this planet. God knows you through and through. And it says in the book of 1 John, it says that if, if, our, if, if, if your heart condemns you, know this, that God knows all things, right? He knows all things and he doesn't condemn us. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. We are in Christ, there's no condemnation. And if God knows everything about us and fully knows us and there's no condemnation, that means that we can live in this boldness in our life with Christ and not live in fear and we can take steps of faith in our life towards the plan of God and not live in the fear of failure or the fear of exposure, because God fully knows us. But it says we must all, and these are two, these are two very strong words, we must all, like all of us. This is something that's, that, is, that, is, um, that is coming, that is, that, is, that is unable to be postponed, and this we will all appear before the judgment seat, and this judgment seat in the Greek language is the Greek word called bema, and maybe you know this, but I'd like to say it again, bema, is a Greek word that described a simple seat or a throne or a judgment seat where people would go in the Roman culture, in the Roman civil judicial system, when they had been wronged, when something had been taken away from them, when they had been, when they had been misjudged, when they had some kind of wrong or victimized in some way. They would go to the seat, they would stand before the judge, and it's really beautiful because the Bema seat was a seat that was kind of up on steps like this. And when the judge sat, the, 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 the victim or the person coming for justice would be standing and the judge and the victim would be eye to eye. And that's how judgment is with Christ. It's not this condescending thing like, you know, like you're just looking up at this crazy huge throne and you're like, am I going to get squashed? But there's, there's a judge and that's Christ and he's sitting on this throne and he's looking to us eye to eye and there's this humility, there is this understanding and it's not a place of threat. I think the devil would like us to be afraid of this 
But really, the throne, the judgment seat of Christ is such great news because I can't wait to tell you because what it means is that that these things that, that recompense is the word in the Greek. It's like, it's like vindication for things that have been lost in your life. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where, where your motive was just so pure and so full of love and then you, you did a deed to, to do something to bless someone, to help someone, to help work something out and it was that great sacrifice to you and then the person turns around and they just throw you under the bus or they totally misunderstand your motives and they just want to, and they get angry and they yell at you and you're just like, what? Like, what are you talking about? You can't, do you understand how expensive this was? Do you understand how much humility it took for me to do this, to love on you when I don't think you deserve it? And all of these hurt and this pain and this bitterness that come in, can come into your life, that can happen. And I think as a Christian, and maybe you've met them, we met, we've met bitter people. Well, that church did this thing to me. Or that person did that. Or my spouse, my ex did that to me. Or my child did this. I mean, I, I bore this child into the world and <laughs> they don't want to give me the time of day. They can't text me. They can't even help me. Or I have done so much for this country. And this is Memorial Day weekend. And, and I know that vets and I know that people that have served struggle with this. They feel many times abandoned and left out. I have met pastors who have gotten older, they have aged, and they've retired, and they're elderly, and they live in a small apartment with their wife with very little money, and they're very angry because they didn't get what they thought they deserved. And they, they you know, I met one of those pastors a few years ago, and I sat there in his apartment, and it was sad what happened. And he was just so, he was just so bitter, he was so angry. And I thought, as a pastor, I thought, Lord, I never want to get there. I want to look at my life, whatever I do, and just be so filled with thankfulness that I even got to open my mouth and say something about God, the great creator, the almighty, powerful God. The God who's so majestic in the book of Revelation, who will scatter his enemies just by a word. This powerful, mighty God who, who is so holy that, that, that he cannot even look at sin or unrighteousness. And he sent his son, and he sent his son to pay for our sins, the, the just for the unjust, the creator of this world that laid down his life and lost it all and didn't even have a, a, a wife. And his closest friend, his closest friends denied him. And yet he did this because of love and grace. And when I think of myself as a pastor or someone who serves God in some small way, I never want to be in a place where I have a sense of entitlement. I just want to always be thankful, like, Lord, you... You let me do that, and that was so kind, and that was so gracious, and that was so, so beautiful that you allowed me to do that. Because when we stand before Jesus Christ, there's this beautiful song I've been listening to all week uh, by Shane and Shane. I only know that there's a live version of it, but I, I want to, I don't know if we can sing it in our church someday, and, I, and I, maybe it's not one of those songs that are congregational, but have you heard the song, All Sufficient Merit? How many have heard that song? All Sufficient Merit. Oh, you got to listen to it. Find it. It's just an amazing song about the merit of Christ was so sufficient for our debt of sin. Everybody's going to their phones now, like <laughs> Googling spot. Wait till after the service. But, but whether good, those things that were recompensed. And I think that when we have been wronged or misunderstood or criticized or persecuted or even maybe killed, or maybe even slandered against. Maybe you're in that place today 
And there's that sting of bitterness. There's that sting of betrayal. I've felt it. I know what it is. There is this, there's this anger that can arise. How do we get delivered from that? Do we want to grow older and be an aged person that lives with, with bitterness? Do you know someone who is in their elder years in their life with joy and happiness on their, on their face and smiles is a miracle? Because by the age of 40, every single person's statistics shows that by the time you hit 40, you've gone through some crazy, amazing, unbelievable either betrayal or financial, financial disaster or health, health issues or something has happened to a loved one or you've had great loss in your life, usually by the age of 40. And then when that happens, what happens to our faith? Do we lose our sweet waters? I think that if we can keep our eyes on the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ, which is the bema seat of reward, it's a place of recommend, recom, recompense. It's a place where we are vindicated. I remember, and I've never had to go to court for anything, but I had a, I had a Volkswagen up in Philadelphia when I was pastoring there. And I remember, I took it to, a, I'm not gonna say the name of the company, where they change oil like really fast, very jiffy. Oops. <laughs> and they changed my oil, but you know what? And, and they forgot to, well, they said they changed it, but they forgot to fill it back up with oil. So they put a brand new filter on it. I didn't know, I, I'm just, you know, I might bike, and you know, I, I do a lot of road biking. I might bike on the back. So I drive 25 miles to this um, Conshohocken Park, and I'm cycling for about two hours, and I come back, my car, I turn it on, and there's like this sound, like my engine just kind of like, I don't know, just made the, wor the weirdest sound, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't start. Tow truck comes, your engine's blown. They tow it, you know, and it's like, so this is, you know, this was like a car I still owned money on. And I was thinking like, you know, and so they took the engine apart and they said, they said, you know, whoever changed your oil um, didn't put oil in it. So I had them take all these pictures and everything. And so I go back to the company and I said, look what happened. And they're like, well, there's no way to prove that. You know, we're not gonna, st and I'm standing there. I've got a car that I owe money on and I'm not making lots of money as a pastor, you know? And so there's this, there's this, all these weird feelings like, I, mean, I want to just go bomb their place or something like that. I didn't think that, but I was just thinking all this evil, like I would, maybe something bad would happen to these people or like I'm thinking like, I'm a pastor. And I like, you know, thinking these thoughts. So I had to go to a, a claims court. I had to go there and say, go to the judge and say, look, this is what happened. I don't, have, I don't have any ill will against this person, but there needs to be some kind of recompense here because, and there was this, there was this whole trial that started in this, you know, just, and so the day came and it was me, it was the judge, it was me, and there was the, the manager. We're sitting in this room and, and you know, each of us presented, I, I was my own representative, I didn't have a lawyer at the time, and so I had lots of paper pictures and just, you had, I had records of my oil changes and, Etc. Etc. And I remember going to the, and just feeling like, man, just not feeling great, you know, when you're in a courtroom. And I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom, you're not feeling great. And I remember the, the judge ruled in my favor. And I remember feeling so vindicated. I was like, praise. And I was, I, I left that that courtroom. I walked in with this intrepidation, like, what's going to happen? And I left. And I just felt, I didn't feel like, you know, oh, that guy got what he deserved. I just felt like vindicated. I just felt like, you know, something. I truly was, something wrong happened to me. 
and now justice has been served. And there was a man who, who, there was a righteous man who made that decision, the judge. And I remember thinking that that's what it's going to be like in heaven. We go to, we go to that throne of, that bema seat of Christ and all the cups of cold water that we gave in Jesus' name, all of the words of, 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 of faith that we gave people, the way we serve people, the way a mother lays down their life for children, a grandparent lays down their life for children. And I remember just thinking about that day at the, at the Bema Seat of Christ coming with all of this hurt and all this pain and this bitterness and these thinking I've been wronged and, and yet I'm going to let the Lord be, I'm going to let the Lord have vengeance and I'm going to do good to those who do evil against me. And what does that mean? It just means that I'm not going to give that person what they deserve. This is the world we live in. We live in a world that it's celebrated. You got rights, you know, in Islam and some of these world religions. It is celebrated if someone has done something against you or your family. It is your right and your duty to go um, get the honor of your name of your family back and go and, and, and do eye and eye for an eye and, and a tooth for a tooth and a life for a life. But Jesus didn't do that with us. Because you know something, when we go through hardship, when we are truly wrecked in our soul, when we feel like, like we are, when we feel like we are, are truly, truly kicked to the curb, and nobody knows the pain, nobody knows the thoughts, nobody knows what we've been through, and if we even try to tell somebody it doesn't come out the same way, Jesus knows. God knows. Matthew chapter 6, it says the Lord knows what you have need of. How does he know? There's that Greek word in Matthew chapter 6 that says that he knows, the Father knows. He knows what you have need of how. And that Greek word there is a Greek word that says he knows by relationship and by experience. How does God know that? Because he lived through his son. He is, his son Jesus is God. And, that, and when Jesus experienced something, God felt it. And this is what the Bema Seat is for us, is vindication. It means that maybe the deed that we did didn't come out the way we, want, we wanted to. But the deed is really not the thing that's on trial, it's the motive. It's the motive of the heart. And this is the main point I wanna say. Number one, the judgment seat of Christ is a place of vindication. Number two, Paul was eager for this bema seat and that meant hope. The devil wants to say, oh, there's no, that's a scary day. Hope, that's a place of hope. That's when we go to this throne, we're standing there like, Jesus, you know, thou knowest. Love that. And Jesus, I know. Revelation chapter three, it says that the day that overcome will be given a, re a white stone and on that stone will be a name that no other man knows. Isn't that beautiful? What does that mean? You're gonna get a stone and nobody's gonna know what that says and you're gonna read it and say, ah, I know what that means. We, you know, right? We know. Jesus is like nodding his head, yeah, we know. What does that mean? It means that he knows, Isaiah says that when your people, God, were afflicted, you were afflicted. That's the judgment seat of Christ. It's a place of hope. Lord, this is hard. This is really hard. I wanna quit. I wanna throw in the towel, you know? But there's a day coming when everything will be revealed. All the hypocrisy will be revealed. All the, all the, all the nonsense will be revealed. And it's not a battle that I have to fight today. I'm just, Jesus, you know, I love that's amazing, you know, because right now there's this war in Ukraine and, 
and there's this celebration of anger and aggression and, and response and fighting back and, and you know, killing the enemy. And there's even songs that the Ukrainian army sings. And I was watching a video last night. I thought, what would have Jesus done? And I understand war is war and there, there, you know, that there's a time for that. But I think Jesus, when he stood before Pilate, when he stood before Herod, when he stood before a, you know, these, these men that had power to free him, he said nothing. Except for when they said, you know, one of them said, I think it was Pilate, he said, don't you know that I have power to freedom, to give you freedom? And Jesus kind of says, well, you know, you don't have any power unless God gave it to you. And Jesus lived in the sense that there's a day coming of vindication. And that was the resurrection of Christ. And this word here, we must all appear. There's another, there's another verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. It says that these things will be made manifest. You know when the word, that word made manifest is, is used at the peak of its usage and its beauty in the Greek language? It's referring to John 21 when Jesus rose from the dead. This vindication. This moment when he appeared to, the, to, all, of his, to all of his executioners, all of his disciples. There's this moment of, of resurrection and vindication that death did not win because he, did, he beat death. And because he beat death, he could now rise from the dead. And he was the first one to beat death. And so Paul understood this. He said, there's a day coming where I'm suffering so much. There's so much going on. I'm being beaten and I'm being despised. And, and even my other apostle brothers, you know, in Jerusalem don't understand my ministry and don't understand exactly what I'm doing and it's hard sometimes like Peter said it's sometimes hard you know Peter Paul's words are sometimes hard to understand and yet Paul had this hope and he said I press forward to the mark of that glorious calling the high calling in Christ that I might win Christ I want to wrap it up with this is that the Bema Seat for us is a place of like yes <laughs> vindication right right I don't know how many times you've been on the road and you get someone that just drives crazy and they just cut you off and you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, and then suddenly something happens to them up the road, like a cop speeds by, you know, pulls them over and you're like, yeah, karma, right, vindication, you know, and it's kind of like that moment's going to be like that in heaven when we get, when we get this vindication from Christ and we're going to be like, wow, I've been vindicated. How does God judge us? And this is the, this is the third thing I want to say. What is being judged at this Bema seat? Not our sin. Our sin's not going to be judged at the BBC. Why? Because it's already been paid for. It's already been judged at the cross. So what is this topic? What's the evidence? What is the, what is the criteria being, being, being examined? And this is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. And um, 1 Corinthians, and I just want to look at this briefly with you. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. Paul says here to the Corinthians, and he's talking about the topic of how it's going to be judged, what's going to be judged for the believer. For no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or hay, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. Because the day will show up because it's going to be revealed by fire. What God is, what, what's going to be judged at the, at the judgment seat of Christ is motive. What is my motive? Because what we do sometimes can come out really awesome, but sometimes it can, can come out really not the way we want it to, or maybe we make a mistake, but the motive is there. Wood, hay, I just want to first talk about the, 
um, the, the, the thing that gets consumed by fire. Fire always re refers to uh, the judgment of God. It refers to the ultimate test of things. It, it refers to the last day, the judgment of fire. Because we have some friends and Thursday night, I think it was Thursday night, my wife had an event at the house with some other ladies and there was, um, there was a lady there from California, several Californians that had moved to the area because their house burned down. And this woman had been really blessed by God. They had a 6,000 square foot home um, in Northern California. If you remember the wildfires that had, that had rushed through this, the Northern part of the state and her house was burned down. She said, we were there and the house, everything that we had built and spent money and preparing and had put into, uh, had, was burned in 20 minutes. She said that we had two Mercedes Benz there. And she said in 20 minutes, everything was just a smoldering ash. And her cars were like these, it was like something that was like some out of like dystopian apocalyptic thing where the car was just like this, like this, like this copper rusted colored frame of, of a vehicle. And she said that she said that when that happened, she understood the brevity and the temporalness of things in this world, that our treasures are eternal. Wood, hay, and stubble re represent three things. Number one, wood represents in the Bible our humanity. It means our humanity. It, re it refers to our humanness, that we are like wood. And anything that we do, anytime that we do anything that's motivated by my own humanity, my own physical energy, my own strength that I have, like Cain brought an offering to God in the book of Genesis, at the beginning of the book of Genesis, and it was all a product of his own physical energy. And God rejected it because God doesn't accept human effort and human works. It's all by grace. Abel brought a lamb and that lamb was something that he didn't create. It was something that he didn't make, but he just received that. And so Jesus is the lamb. And it's a picture of the free gift of salvation. So the thing that gets burnt up, the wrong motives are things that are self-centered that are around my humanity. Number two, what is hay? I'm, yeah, what is hay? Wood, hay, and stubble. What is hay? Hay is something that is so combustible. It is something that is, um, it is, something that is dead. And hay represents, um, it can be burnt in a flash. It represents our emotional state. Anything that we do out of emotions and, and emotionalism can end so quickly. And it can, be, it, can be, it can come to an end so quickly because it can be offended. That's something that won't be awarded. That won't be something that's rewarded in heaven. My emotional, because I can be so emotional in church, walk out the door and there's no transformation in my life. And number three, what is stubble? What is straw? It's straw is the leftover of when there was a harvest and all the corn was harvested from the crops. There was this stubble. It was like what was left after the, 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 the corn had been removed. It's like this stalk, this, this straw. And it was something that was just absolutely no good. And what is being judged here? It's those things that are either good or bad. And this word bad is not the word that we get for evil or, or, or morally wrong. Bad here means useless. What are, the what are the things that are going to be judged at the bema seat of Jesus Christ? Are those things that we spent all of this time that was just useless, the mundane? The motive, the way we do little things, can take the mundane straw stubble and make that something glorious. When I'm washing dishes as a mom, changing diapers, when I'm working 400, 400 hours a week just as a husband trying to just cut, cut, keep everything afloat. But I'm doing this filled with the Spirit. Okay? And then I want to wrap it up with this, is that 
Gold, silver, and precious stones. You know what gold is? Those, those decisions that you make, and we said this to the young people yesterday, when you make a decision that has eternal results and you don't sacrifice eternal priorities and eternal values and eternal things that we don't see, when we make decisions based on our life for that, that's something that fire can come in your life. Tragedy can come in your life. Things could come and that's going to still stand. That's gold. It can't be burned. Because you, you made a decision not based on the temporal value system. You didn't, somebody said it like this way back in the day. Don't sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the temporal experience. Okay? Silver. What's silver? Silver represents redemption. It means that I take things in my life that could really go, that could really be, I could just leave that and like, okay, I can leave that and that's just going to, that's going to be a waste. I can go in and I can tra- take a situation and redeem it. Adoption. That's, 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 that's a way we can redeem. And then lastly, precious stones. These are gems. These are these little stones that are made, that are created when there's great pressure in your life. When there's incredible pressure in your life and you choose not to vindicate yourself, but to walk in the stones, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, these precious stones and you can sometimes take them out. You can, like a little box at home and you have these precious stones, these memories, pictures, Bible verses, notebooks, journals, photos, things in your life that just are precious stones to you that you chose to do that instead of casting things aside and living in self-indication. When we make decisions like this, when our motive is a motive of love, responding to the love of Christ, then what happens is that we're building on a finished work. And this is the fourth and last point, is that Paul said, unless a man build on the foundation that no one else can build, which is the laid down life of Christ. You know what that means? Your motive in your life. And if there's only one thing that you remember in this message, just remember this, that motives in your life are, are, are um, dysfunctional when we are trying to prove something to somebody or to God. When we just come to God and say, Lord, I don't have anything to give back to you, but I come back, I come to you with thanksgiving. That is acceptable to the Lord. That is beautiful. That is what he desires. That is, remember the, the lepers, 10 lepers that were all healed and only one came back and said, thank you. And this is, this is the foundation that we build on. How do we build our family? We build, a fam- we build our family on the foundation that's already been laid, the laid down life of Christ. How do I build my marriage? How do I help my marriage? How do I get my marriage out of a funk or at a cycle of negativity and, and problematic situations? Lay down your life. You know, in a marriage, there's always one person that's, there's usually only one, there's usually one person that's making all the sacrifice and then there's the other person that's usually the offender and that can switch. Sometimes there's, you know, like, sometimes I'm the one that's doing all the offending and my wife's laying down her life and I'm seeing Christ come out of her and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so convicted. And then vice versa. How do we resolve conflicts? We lay down our, how do we build relationships? How do we build our future, our future career? How do we think about our college in the future? We do that by laying, understanding the laying down life of Christ. That if he gave us everything in Romans chapter 8, will he not freely give us all things? And so I said four things this morning. Number one, the judgment seat of Christ is the bema seat and it's a place of vindication. Number two, Paul looked at the judgment seat of Christ with, with hope and expectation because that's where I'm going to be vindicated. Number three, what is being judged or examined? It's not your salvation. 
It's not anything to do with, with your eternal state. It's our motives over works because deeds could be misinterpreted. And number four, we said motive for building our life is a finished work and we're constrained by love. It's amazing when you can love someone supernaturally that just hates your guts. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but that's what Jesus did. Jesus looked at the Pharisees. They were very angry. They hated him. Jesus looked at his disciples. They were weak and they forsook him. Jesus looked at his, his nation, Israel, and they did not receive him. Yet he, was poor, he poured out love. That's unbelievable. And if we can do that, there's a reward. If we don't do it, then there's a loss of reward. And when we get to heaven, it's not like we're losing. We're just, we, we see that what it could have been. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give in to anger. Don't give in to revenge. Don't, don't give in to self-vindication. Let God fight for you. There's a day of vindication coming, and that's the judgment seat of Christ, and that's what we're looking at. Amen? Let's pray. 